0: Those in the ruling class are also impacted by colonization, deeply impacted by colonization. Can we actually let that reality just be? And could we have that conversation and holding and not invalidating that some of us have other impacts that are real and true?
1: I I, I actually think there's been a significant and valid and worthwhile and needed to continued investigation into the impacts of colonialism on those who are most marginalized and oppressed in our societies, right? I want to say that. And I think there's been very, very little investigation and understanding of the impacts of colonialism on our ruling classes. And let's not pretend those people aren't making some of the most significant decisions about the systems, services, programs, and infrastructures that are in play right now.
0: You're listening to Find the Outside, the podcast. I'm Tuesday Ryan Hart.
1: And I'm Tim Merry.
0: This week on the podcast, we're going to talk about ancestors that's right may may we may we honor ours may we be good ones for our future generations right but we're going to talk about ancestors and tim do you want to talk about how this came up why are we talking about ancestors this week
1: yeah totally so i'm doing a i'm just doing a lot of work at the moment um around what it means to have been raised uh kind of within within my class and going to the schools i've gone to um and uh um, and, and, and I think, uh, one of the, one of the things that happened was that, uh, I got into a, I got into a conversation and I was like, you know, cause I got sent away. s went sent away to school at a fairly young age, you know? And, uh, and at one point, you know, this, one of the, one of the pieces of work I was doing, it was, I was like holding this cushion and I was like, you ruined everything, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, um, uh, and the, the guy I was working with said, um, you know, who is that now, you know? And mm-hmm. I said, well, this is, this feels like, uh, you know, not just people who are in my direct family or who were in my direct circumstances as a kid, but this actually feels like um, generations of my ancestors now, you mm-hmm. know? And so we immediately took the cushion and he layered like three or four different cushions on this chair. And he said, all right, so that's like your generations of ancestors going back. What do you see? Mm. You know? and uh and and what i said at the time was that i well i see generations of perpetrators and uh, and 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 interestingly for me i see generations of perpetrators um on their own families and their own children
0: yeah, yeah.
1: right and i think that's one of the things for me in my life when people have always said to me you kind of need to own your history or you need to own your ancestry as the colonizer or as great Mm. Britain or as a white man. It was always asking me to own the impacts of my ancestors upon the rest of the world. Yeah. Yes. There was something about this conversation that I was in that was about owning the impacts of my ancestors upon me Mm. and upon my, upon my brother and my sister and my parents and my friends you know that was yeah. a completely different quality of invitation and uh, and not even to own it but to fully see it and take it in and there was something about that type of invitation that was completely different than i think how i'm often approached which is uh you have to bear the burden of uh your ancestors who colonized this place or your ancestors who attacked to this place. And, and so I just want to get, you know, and when we were talk, we talked about this at one point, you said, Oh, that's really interesting because the narrative I get from my ancestors is really different than that, you know? And I was just like, Oh, I really want to talk about this with you choose. And so like, that's about as far as we've got in our conversation And then I uh, somewhat ridiculously said, let's take this conversation into podcast. (laughs) So um, let's see where it goes. Slightly nervous, really excited, but also feel like it's a really important conversation for us to be having, uh, you know, across the so many levels of difference we have with each other, but also within the context of our friendship.
0: That's right. And it feels like, again, it's that place of if it's up for us, we bring it into our work. This is an mm-hmm. exact example. And I, I would agree. I also feel a little nervous um, because I think we're talking about ancestors on, on two levels, right? Like um, our direct kind of ancestors and what and, and their impact on our families and kind of ancestors writ large, right? Which is uh, our people. Right? Mm-hmm. Our, our people and their impacts. And so um, that's not always kind of a straight line. I don't know if you recall, but you texted me and said, I have an idea for a podcast. And oh, and yeah, you, I did. That's right. Yeah. And you said something about it needs to be about ancestors. Who's to blame? Who bears
1: I, the blame? Who, who bears, bears the, the blame? blame?
0: And I was like, oh. That's not what I would call a podcast about ancestors. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what would you call a podcast about ancestors? What would your uh, what would your newspaper headline be Tuesday morning?
0: <laughs> I actually, uh, because of what i my own personal work right now and understanding what my ancestors have given me, I would I would have said something like ancestors like receiving their gifts or opening up to their Mm. gifts or, you know, there would be something kind of entirely different. Um, And I was like, oh, isn't that an interesting place for us just to look at the location? I mean, ancestry and ancestors comes up all of the time in our work. We were just talking about in our sport work recently. One of the Mi'kmaq women was talking about working for seven generations forward, right? She's talking right. about being an ancestor, right? As we do kind of this systems change work, she's already anticipating herself as an ancestor to seven generations. And so this idea we, of ancestors and ancestries is up in our work. Oh, you're dying, Tim. Say it.
1: No, no, just like, just like that, what you just said was like, just like we are already ancestors. Yes. By virtue of being alive, by virtue of being in this work. Yeah. By virtue of being alive, really, truly breathing, we are mm-hmm. already ancestors, and begin to think of, to think of ourselves as ancestors. Mm-hmm. Just when you said that, like, just like we're already ancestors, It just burst something, burst a little bubble for me in a useful mm. way.
0: Nice. And you know what? I want to just bookmark this because later in the podcast, a few episodes from now, we're going to have uh, Gibran Rivera joining us, and he talks a lot about that practicing mm. to be an ancestor, right? And Love I think. That. That's a that's a really rich area for us, and so so it's up for us personally. As soon as it's up for you personally, like it comes up in your work, and so now I feel like I'm seeing it in my work all over the place. Yeah, like folks thinking about their ancestors and how they will be ancestors, whether they have that language or not. So we thought we'd bring it here.
1: Yeah, thought that's right. Here, that's right. So wh- where do you want to start? Like, do you want to start on gifts or blames? So which you know which. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I'm curious, I guess I, I wanted, as you were talking earlier, I actually had a question for you around like, what was different in that invitation? What was it that allowed you to begin to see your ancestors not, um, as their impact on others only, but as their impact on you, what was, I'm curious about that little pivot for you.
1: Well, yeah, I love that. Thanks. Uh, so mm-hmm. there's something about it, not being, uh, me needing to bear the blame of people who aren't necessarily related to me
0: mm, mm. weren't part mm.
1: of like you know some movement of people to a different part of the world even though my ancestors were but like so um so there's something about there was something about that i think which is often uh i have felt in in uh particularly in que- in circles of social justice and equity um or when we get into conversations you know it's kind of like I'm being asked to bear the blame or bear the ancestral weight of things that people I didn't even know, never even met. Um, uh, uh, I'm uh, as a, uh, you know, as Tim Merry today at mid 40s, I'm being asked to bear the blame or a lot younger than that. And so there was something about that that was just like, it was, it was, uh, I didn't feel a connection to it. Mm. You know, I mean, like intellectually, I got it, y- y- you know, mm-hmm. but my heart didn't know those people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so there was something about the conversation I-, I was in that wasn't about my ancestors. It was a you know, initially, it was about uh what I went through as a kid. Mm. What my sister went through as a kid, what my brother went through as a kid, what both of my parents went through when they were children. Yeah. Right? What their parents went through. When they were children, going back generations and generations and seeing, beginning to understand the level of trauma, uh, abandonment, and abuse that is embedded within the privileged class that I come from, that has been perpetrated over multiple years. Sorry, multiple generations, multiple yeah. years as well, but multiple generations. And beginning to understand, beginning to understand that. Um, uh, it was a completely different conversation for mm. me than needing to bear the weight for the colonization of North America or the uh, or, or or Africa or or different parts of Africa, mm-hmm. depending on which European country you come from, and also North America. So, so I think that so I think that's like a, I think that was a big part of it for me. It was like it was like this this like understanding that you know colonization is something that is happening within my family.
0: Mm, mm.
1: Like the colonization is something that is practiced within my class in terms of how we raise our children and how we treat each other. And it is that actual perpetration of that mindset that has made it permissible out in the world. Yeah. But until I engage with that, um, In my direct relations, if I, until I understand that within my direct relations, it's very difficult for me to extract, for me, it was very difficult for me to extrapolate my, not my empathy, but my, uh, ownership connection to the broader impacts. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it totally, it absolutely makes sense.
1: I'm literally talking about, thinking it through it and talking about it at the same time. So I I don't, you know, literally that's what I'm doing. So.
0: Yeah, I, it does make sense. And it, it's like that actually that last little bit for me kind of pulled it together. Um, and so I want to kind of check and see if I'm understanding. So because as long as I've known you, I've never seen you kind of deny the impacts of colonization or no. deny what the empire has done across the world. And and your family has been part of that, right? So it's no. not. So I haven't heard you deny um, that or kind of step back and say, but because I, I think the danger is you saying like, "Oh, it's, it wasn't my people," but you know, so, but you have even if you don't bear the weight, you've you've gotten some of the benefits. But I don't hear like that last thing you said just pulled it together for me, which is is until I could understand kind of that dynamic, and like understand it because it's a felt dynamic. Then, then, then I can understand right the large I feel some connection to the larger dynamic, right. Until I exactly
1: until I could understand how colonization had been perpetrated upon me.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: From the age of zero. Yeah. But then further enforced through my entire life. Until I was able to deconstruct how colonization has been practiced upon me as a as a (gasps) child growing up within the privileged classes right there was I couldn't extrapolate it I couldn't move it beyond I mean like intellectually yes. I could always could always like I can yeah. I'm a smart kid you know what I mean yeah. like I can like I can get it and I can actually like I'm I'm never one to turn away from a difficult no, conversation absolutely. it's not how I'm built like I lean in you know yeah you bring things to me that feel real like I'm never going to turn away it doesn't yeah. matter who you are like I'm here I'm in and I'm learning you know but there was something about what happened for me recently that that uh, made this my art you know yeah. and um And uh, and I think, and I think that's the shift, you know, and I think all too too often, I think what we're pointing at is the impacts of the privileged classes on the rest of the world instead of the impacts of colonization on the privileged classes, (laughs) right? Which makes it less impactful.
0: Yeah. Like I have been with you as you understand it conceptually, and this feels different. It feels like you'll move in the world differently. And I think, um, you are moving in the world differently. Yeah, and I think that you're right. Like the demand, the demand of which I think is a very valid demand, see the impact of colonization and what it has done to my folks who have been the target of it. I think that's a very valid, legitimate demand. Absolutely. And, and it has also has to leave room to see the impacts of colonization. I mean, I think we we say this a lot, like everyone's impacted in different ways. And that's true. Like that, like, I feel like that is at the bare bones, the truth, but what you're getting at and what you're speaking to is, and the impacts are real to across. It's not like, oh, you know, they're different impacts, but they're real for everyone who experiences them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, we've begun these conversations with each other, um, around Uh, And we've even begun talking about it publicly. So we've moved it out very gently into our work. But that if we're talking about systems change, Mm -hmm. you know, we have to understand the impact of the dominant system currently at play at every level of society. Right. So that means understanding the impacts of the dominant system within those who've been marginalized and oppressed by it.
0: Of course. You know, but it
1: also means understanding the impacts of the dominant system of the ruling classes. Right. 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 Whether that be English or within North America or within every other part of the world. Right. You know, so to think that, you know, being a member of the ruling classes was just playing rugby, going to nice schools and singing songs in big chapels. And like, it's just like a lovely walk in the park. That for me is, that's just not true. Yeah. You know, the, the, the idea that privilege has been a gift, you know. I'm not sure I'm there. In fact, I know I'm not there. Yeah. I mean, there have been gifts of it. For sure. You know, yes. but the gifts of it for me really are about survivorship, you know? And, uh, and so, so I think there's some like fundamental call to begin to like actually understand the impacts of, uh, a colon- colonialism right as something that has been perpetrated across the societal spectrum right and and like what what's that conversation and like how do we have that conversation with each other and that is not in any way to invalidate the experience of those who have been marginalized and expressed and and uh oppressed by the way things are but it's actually like can we have a whole view right can we have a whole view
0: Right. And it's, it's holding the complexity of that whole view, right? It's the For me, it's the, the whole view that says, uh, can I, and again, this might get, we talked about a soft heart a lot, but like, can I soften my heart actually to let in that whole view while very much holding that right now our past, our presence, and our future is absolutely impacted. By our positioning related to that colonialism, right? Mm -hmm. And so to hear you say that there were gifts and there, uh, there were gifts, and the gifts were around your survivorship. Yes. And the gifts are also your future income, your future wealth, your like those are those are gifts you received from this colonization. And so that's also true. And it's part of the complexity of, you know, it's like one of those things, yes, we're all impacted, we're impacted differently. And our pasts are different, our presents are different, and our projected futures are different based on our relationship to colonization, holding that reality, right? If I look at, if I just look at life expectancy, if I just look at wealth, I mean, we're talking about in the US right now, We're talking Mm. about being a majority people of color country by like 2021 or something. Yeah, yeah. And having zero dollars of wealth for black and brown people. Zero dollars. I mean, like, that's a real, that's a real impact. It's a real uh, impact of colonization. And that's not an impact you have. And that doesn't mean you're not impacted, that your pain is not real, that we don't actually have to open up our understanding of how to do this work in a way. I just, and I, you know, we were texting the other night and I was saying, I think it's such a, I think I used the word poverty. It's such a poverty when we have to say, but my pain is so much worse, right? That that actually, like the moment, and and it's not that it might not be true. It's not even, but the moment we kind of close off to anyone's pain in this system, well, I think- If I'd go back to our work language, like the moment we close off from seeing anyone's pain in the system, we fail to see reality clearly. We fail to see action we can take together. And so we don't actually, we don't have the impact we want, right? Not only is it I don't become the person I want to become and be in this world how I want to be, but we actually decrease our capacity to make change. If we cannot hold the complexity of exactly what you're saying, those in the ruling class are also impacted by colonization, deeply impacted by colonization. Can we actually let that reality just be? And could we have that conversation and holding and not invalidating that some of us have other impacts that are real and true and disproportionate and about Living or dying, right? In this very moment. Like, it's like, oh, that's the skill. That's, those are the conversations I want to be in. I can give, I can give attention. I can give attention to either, actually. I think I feel like the trick is giving attention to both and not letting one be all the conversation we're in. I'm just thinking out loud, too.
1: Yeah. No, I love it, mate. And, and, uh, and there's something for me around the, um, and so I can, all, I mean, I love it because we're both speaking from our different perspectives and hopefully yeah. getting, hopefully getting a more whole picture as a result. Yeah, so just, yeah,
0: yeah. Just
1: thank you, first of all. Yeah. And, um, and so the other thing I want to say is that, um, the, the trauma and abandonment and abuse that I think is often at the very heart of being raised within a privileged class, mm-hmm. right, is very rarely ever validated within society. yeah. Because yeah. of the privilege it's entrenched within, yeah, right, yeah, and so you know that you would send your children away at seven years old, seven years old, you know to see them two months of the year, and other than that, entrust their uh childhood and upbringing into the hands of often violent, often abusive uh systems and circumstances, you know. It's never questioned because it's kids of the ruling class that you would hand your child over to a nanny or an au pair to raise them because you're busy. You know, there's no question of the validity of those kind of choices, you know, and there's never any question of the impact of the abandonment on the child or the loss or how those children have had to uh, uh, come up with coping mechanisms to deal with those circumstances. So I think, I, I, I actually think there's been a significant and valid and worthwhile and needed to continued investigation into the impacts of colonialism on those who are most marginalized and oppressed in our societies, right? I want to say that. And I think there's been very, very little investigation and understanding of the impacts of colonialism on our ruling classes. And let's not pretend those people aren't making some of the most significant decisions right. about the systems, services, programs, and infrastructures that are in play right now. Right? That's right. And so what is it that is happening within the raising of our ruling classes that gives permission to for us to continuing ha- to continue having these large-scale systems that completely lack empathy, yeah. don't serve people, and aren't able to adjust to a 21st century world, you know? Yeah. And it's like, I think a lot of that is embedded in the psychological impacts of colonialism on our ruling classes. And if we're not willing to go there, I don't know how we're going to get systems change done, right? And, and yep. so- and so for me this is about this is about going there this is about really like having an analysis of that section of our society with the same quality of rigor that we apply analysis to other areas of our society and i don't think that analysis has been done and uh and so the work by nick duffnell out of the uk where he's been looking at boarding school survivors and has just recently published a book called wounded leaders which is looking Mm -hmm. at like you know what is the psychological emotional state of the people who are in the majority of senior leadership positions? And how is that playing out? Like, I feel like that's something we need to be looking at and we need to all be looking at together.
0: Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. I was thinking um, a few, probably about a year ago now, our friend uh, Chrissy Caceres out of Georgetown Day School, which is a private school in the US, um, circulated an article about how uh, the children in the private school system, right, which would be Equivalent to your public school system, not all boarding, yeah, um, have the same characteristics of foster children, folks who have been abandoned into right a state system, right, That's because right. of the raising by nannies and yeah. uh, other caregivers and being sent to school, yeah, and so the author of this, who was a private school teacher, was just like, we have to look at this and we have to develop some empathy um, for these children. Because they're children, right? These were educators, so of course they cared for children. And then I, what I hear you doing is like, and and because these are going to be our future rulers. For just going to be frank, right? I mean, unless we make some big change in a generation, these 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 children are going to be our future rulers, and so we must pay attention uh, for the moral reason and for the strategic reason. I'm with you.
1: And there's been, there's been some really interesting comparative studies done between English boarding schools, um, and indigenous residential schools in Canada. And there's Mm -hmm. been, I mean, there's, there's a whole, and so I'm really interested to hear about those studies done between kind of the foster care system and kids Mm -hmm. within independent schools. Cause I actually think, and I don't, I don't know how or where to go with this yet, but I, but I actually think, um. Not in terms of the safety net that you were pointing mm-hmm. at to earlier, mm-hmm. you know, but in terms of some of the some of the interior trauma, you know, yeah. I actually think that there's. I think uh, my experiences sitting in these groups and doing mm-hmm. this work with myself that a lot of that interior trauma is where we're going to find similar experiences at both ends of the spectrum of our society. Yeah, and and uh, and certainly, you know, I think I think abandonment is one of the root issues that you're dealing with within the ruling classes so when you as children are abandoned by your parents at a very very young age you know what you do is what I did what every young boy who went away to boarding school or was handed off to a nanny or an pair a dozen doesn't see their parents hardly you know what they do is the the sadness and loss of that is so significant Right. Especially if you're not just abandoned by them, but you're put into a situation that is highly violent and abusive, which is often the case, is that you then you then the sadness and loss is so overwhelming that essentially what you do is you build a wall between yourself and your sadness and loss. So you you shut down your emotional connection to your feelings.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And so then um uh uh and that becomes the protective mechanism, right? Which is Absolutely necessary Yeah, <laughs> at a young age. That's how you get through. That's how you survive, you know? But what ends up happening as you emerge as an adult is you don't have that empathic link, empathetic link to yourself, mm-hmm. right? And therefore, how could you have it to others? And that was a deliberate strategy. That was a yep. deliberate strategy around raising children of the empire. I sent you a quote the other day, you know, that's this is a deliberate strategy to raise people who would have the emotional fortitude to do terrible things within far flung places of the empire and make those decisions, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, um, so that, you know, it was, it was, it was deliberately done to remove pe- children from their families and establish their loyalty to the, to the institution and to the empire. Like that's what they did. It was a strategy in Victorian times, take the children from the family, take the love and loyalty they have with their family, transfer that to the institution, whether that be empire, justice system, legal firm, government, right? Like whatever the institution is, that's what we're doing. We're taking children at a young age and removing from family love, transferring that loyalty somewhere else. And so 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 it's it's somewhat scary that it was designed, but those fundamental issues of abandonment are what ends up being the uh, root cause, I think, of the lack of empathy that I see playing out across all of our major systems and services and structures and programming, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
0: It's the reason we can say, how is that possible? Mm-hmm. How is it possible that we're treating our children this way? How is it mm-hmm. possible that we have a school to prison pipeline? How is it possible that our mm-hmm. um, our healthcare facilities are giving black children less pain medication than white children? Or like mm-hmm. how, Like th- these are sociopathic tendencies in our systems, right? Yeah. And so, and we can look and say, how is that possible? But what you've just said is this is how it's possible, right? right? This is exactly how it's possible because the folks who are uh, structuring, developing, benefiting, uh, leading those systems have a lack of capacity, right? And then the systems have a lack of capacity. The systems perpetuate Right. And they were built that way. Right. And so I know we've said it before on here, but again, systems aren't broken. They're doing what they're designed to do.
1: Absolutely.
0: And so that quote you sent me about um, how we set up our children, how we create the conditions for our children not to have empathy. Right. Like that's, it's, it's, it's actually quite easy, right? Like there's a lot of research. This is how you, this is how you raise children, not to have empathy. This is how you raise children, not to be in touch with their feelings. This is what trauma does, right? And, uh, when you do what works, then it, then it raises generation after generation after generation. And I always heard each generation actually gets worse unless there's an intervention and there's help each generation actually gets worse. Yeah. Um, and so then of course, of course we have these systems. So when we look at the systems and say, how could that be? Right. Of course, this is how this is how it could be. Right. His, I just found. Yeah, I just go ahead. found
1: the quote. Yeah. So is a such a it's a quote from the Observer newspaper last week. Such a practice might at first seem draconian and heartless, but it has a long and noble history. Why? The aristocratic classes have been doing this for centuries. Each year, their children are packed off unceremoniously to boarding school and rarely seen by their parents again. In this way, the remotest outposts of British empire were maintained with a steady flow of fresh blood, mercifully free from any emotional ties with Mata and Pater. Thus, when it comes to enslaving the children of foreign tribes to feed the machinery of the empire, they were unmoved by sentiment or empathy.
0: Well, that, Tim, that is, oh my gosh, this is exactly, after our last election here in the US, right, there was such outrage that 53% of white women that voted, voted for Trump. Right. Mm. And there was such outrage. Um, And a lot of that was among communities of color. And how could they do that? How could they be so racist? But and it's white women that are racist. And I was like, look, they sold out their own children in that vote. Why would I expect they wouldn't sell out me? Right. You know what I mean like why you know, like they betrayed their own daughters in that vote. Mm-hmm. Why would I believe that they wouldn't betray other people, right? And it's exactly what this quote is getting to, right? Like the loyalty is to and I don't know that people think about it in their minds as empire, right, but the the loyalty is to the status quo. the loyalty is to some idea, right um that that will have you betraying your own children. exactly what you said, betraying your own children to the machine. And right. so that. That is what we have to interrupt, yeah, right. And and without a doubt, we ha- without a doubt, um, we have to see to the impact on those of those of us who are the most marginalized and vulnerable. That doesn't mean we only put attention here. Although I'm I'm laughing because of course we need to wrap up this podcast and that's all we've talked about. But we'll do our second one on on my take on ancestors and Let's kind of it. that that view, right? I would uh, love so- that. So I don't want to like, don't, don't worry, friends, hang on. We're going to get to part two. Uh, and that will, <laughs> that, right? that will be, that will be talking about uh, some of the other perspective. Cause not that my ancestry is in is any way imperfect, but I was just struck by how different, what a different legacy we carry based on our ancestors and how we understand them. Um, right. And so uh, we'll uh, get to that. Go yeah.
1: Ahead. Yeah. Well, yeah, just, and there's, I think there's something for me, you know, and I'll be interesting where you. You know, when we get into this conversation where you dig into your ancestry, which is, but like, there's something for me that feels very live for me, which is like, this ends here.
0: Mm. This Mm. ends here.
1: This ends here. I, you know what? I can see it. Fuck you. This ends here. You know, this ends with how I raise my children. Yeah. Right now. You know? And there's something about that, that feels really different. Mm. (laughs) Mmm. Uh, the The power to change it is, you know, in my house.
0: Yeah,
1: it's in how I talk my kids into bed every night. It's yeah. It's it's. Do, do you know what I mean? There's something I about do. like this is okay. Well, at least in this family, this is over, and it yeah. may be six or seven generations of this in my family, but we're done now.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: and um, and it's requiring an enormous internal lift. Yeah, but. I don't know what else I would do with my life to be honest. Mm. So I think there's, so I think, uh, I think it ends here, but something else also starts here, you know, which is, which is what so much of our work together is. And what so much of our friendship is, I think, is this ability to be in whatever it is that wants to happen next. And, uh, knowing that what has come before, nope.
0: Yeah. Do you have a poem today or do you have a song today? Because I could do either.
1: I was going to read one of the poems I've written about this. Do you want to do the song if I do the poem?
0: Okay, the song is mine and it just came to me. Uh, Ben Harper has a song called Oppression.
1: Love right? that song.
0: It's a good song, right? And he's just like, nope. Oh, I love that. Like, song. I am done with you. And that, just as you were saying, it ends here. It reminded me of that beautiful little song because, of course, of course, he's speaking to the wind. Of course, oppression doesn't end because he says it does, but he's not. gonna, he's gonna give it a go. And yeah. he's going to look it in the eye and he's going to say, like, not to, not today, Satan. Right? <laughs> he's yeah. just going to say, like, so I just heard that in your voice. Um, so that would be my song, Ben Harper's Oppression. Oh, oppression, you pray on us when we sleep. Oppression, you chase after the tired poor, the weak. Oppression. you go into the poem i just want to i just want to like thank you friend like i am so grateful um, to be walking along beside you as you do this work and i i've witnessed the courage of your turning toward it and facing it um i felt it and it's um one of the things that gives me courage too so i'm just really grateful
1: thanks bud it feels yeah. a very Vulnerable thing to bring into our conversations, uh, partly because I, you know, m- my feeling is it's going to be incredibly unwelcome.
0: <laughs> mm, mm, yeah. And, yeah. Uh,
1: but like, yeah. I got nothing else to do. Like, what's my contribution? Yeah. You know, my contribution has to come from my own past and my own lineage and my own work and my own internal work. Like, that is what I bring to the table when we're talking about systems change and equity. And yeah. I, just, I just hope it's useful. I really do. Like, I hope it's, I mean, it yeah. feels, feels useful for me and it feels useful for my family. And, um, and I hope that, um, I hope it's useful to the work and to the change we're trying to build together, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, it's useful for me. So thank you. Thanks bud. Yeah.
1: All right. I'm going to do one of the first ones I wrote about this because we've just started the conversation. It's called the boxer. I think I sent you this one. Hmm. Uh, they abandoned me. They should have been there. I was left bereft alone, curled up under a duvet cover far from home, wishing to not be seen. Heart beating, scared. Why did you leave me here? Fear pulsing, red, jagged and spiralling from the solar plexus out, running frantic energy through my body all the way to my fingers and toes, but nowhere to run. There's nobody I know to run to. Where were you? This was meant to be a grand adventure, not trauma, not weeping at 43, only feeling like me when the tears flow, hand on heart. We should never have been apart, our family, you and me. In the empty space, stepped the boxer, braced for any attack. Come one, come all, I'm ready, poised, watchful, weaving, fists up, back to the wall, there is no leaving. Sadness turned to anger, ready to explode, unload when things get beyond control, protecting my soul when you did not. I surrounded myself with a team of defenders, boxer, charmer, actor, fixer, worker, lover, joker, anger, server, connector, all to keep the world at bay because it was not safe to come out and play. Now, slowly, I'm peeping out my blurry eyed head over parapet walls. There's me looking in to the place I protected where I'm no longer connected meeting eye to eye starting to cry more tears to flow more of myself to know if I dare go slow with the flow of what the wisdom of my psyche is unveiling to me now at 43 I'm coming home to me
0: beautiful thank you thank you That's it. For this episode of Find the Outside, the podcast, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts.
1: New episodes come out every second Tuesday. If you'd like to get in touch with us about something you heard on the show, you can reach us at podcast.findtheoutside.com.
0: You can find links to any of the resources, the poem. Uh, ooh, are we going to link your poem, Tim? Yeah, sure. Okay, the song, the books we might have mentioned uh, during the show in the show notes for this episode over at findtheoutside.com forward slash podcast or in the description for the podcast and the podcast app you're listening to us on.
1: And you can find the song we played in today's shows. In fact, every song we've ever played on any of our, our podcasts on the Find the Outside Spotify playlist. Just search for Found the Outside, and the uh, link is also at findtheoutside.com backslash podcast.
0: This episode was edited and produced by Mark Coffin at Soundgood Studio.
1: And theme music for Find the Outside podcast is by the illustrious Gary Plagmore Take care,
0: folks. Bye-bye. See you next time.